Hello, hello, and hi there, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. So I don't know about you, but I love coffee. We've got a coffee machine in the kitchen and the smell of it brewing just makes me so happy in the morning. The taste and the experience of having a good cup of coffee in the sunshine is a joy to a lot of people. And with this, coffee carries so many social connotations a chance to catch up with friends or the opportunity to pitch an idea to a colleague or the chance to meet up with a potential new boss. Since the early days of Starbucks in Seattle in the 90s, coffee is now centrally entrenched in our culture and part of the fabric of our everyday lives. It is also big business and thousands of baristas daily churn out millions of cups of coffee in London alone. Amongst those baristas was Frida Yuan, whose love of coffee has taken her from her home in Taiwan via Melbourne to here in London, where she is now head of coffee at Origin Coffee Roasters, responsible for the sourcing and procurement of specialty coffee and quality control of their roasted coffee. What a job! Frida is not just insightful about coffee, though. She discusses, as you'll hear, about relationships at work, how communication affects every aspect of your growth, and how sometimes not getting the job that you think you want can open unexpected doors for you. Coffee is like wine, she told me. Coffee from different regions within the same country can taste completely different. And the excitement that comes from tasting those contrasting flavours continually excites her. Before we start, I should give a trigger warning that this interview contains conversations regarding bulimia and depression. There's some links to charities in this area on the show page for anyone that needs. So do you want to just tell me about um, life growing up in Taiwan? Like, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were little? I didn't really know. So I wasn't a really good student, so I didn't really care about my study. (laughs) I sort of just, you know, I did okay degrees uh, in my university. I studied English because that was the easiest for me. I guess I was smart, in a way, like I still, you know, go through unis, um, but I didn't know what I want to do. And I know I can't sit in somewhere for long. And so I did a lot of activities at school. I played volleyball, I joined the school teams. Um, and I started to work in hospitality, um, like restaurants. And I realized that, oh, I actually quite enjoy hospitality because it's a fast paced uh, industry. And um while I was doing my part-time job, I realized um, I want to be actually a stewardess, like working as a flight attendant okay. above, you know, over the, um, the sky because I enjoy traveling. So that was my sort of plan that uh, after graduating from my university, I wanted to uh, work for an airline company. So I did a lot of uh, interviews. But it was super hard. This was in Taiwan, was it? This was in Taiwan, yeah. So I did a few interviews. However, uh, it's very interesting. So in Taiwan, we are a very figured culture. So 
um, we care about outlook, we care about appearance. And I guess for me, I am not a very typical, my look is not a typical Taiwanese okay. lady. Okay. Woman. In what way? So in a way, I um, I don't know. I'm just not sweet enough. <laughs> and in a way, I'm probably not considerable enough for my appearance. Because if I don't smile, if I don't laugh, I look angry. And I know that company, it's almost like a catwalk walk audition. So you, you have to walk into an interview. You have to sit straight. You have to have a really good behavior. And you need to just be a ladylike. Mm -hmm. But I'm not. Mm -hmm. me, me neither. <laughs> God, I'd be so bad at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, yes. So for me, like, it, I never get any roles eventually. I didn't get hired by any other, you know, airline companies. Which I think was a blessing because I now think about think about it. I even though I can travel around the world, but I still think I won't use that much of my brain if, because my brain runs really quickly most of the time. So I would love to use it um, to utilize it at work. But being a waitress almost, or maybe um, serving people, a close environment and doing repetitive, jo repetitive jobs it's not what I'm looking for eventually I realized that cool so you um so you started off out in hospitality and how did where did things go from there for you yeah so I was um, pretty lucky so I was a manager straight away in a restaurant that's owned by a Canadian but he lives in Taiwan so I actually learned a lot about running a business because he was a businessman and about a, a business culture, business structure, and promotion. So I was basically running the entire shop along with uh, the Canadian owner. And that sort of gave me an idea of, okay, so this is um, how things could work, and this is how things probably should work as well but not necessarily mean I'm locking into certain you know theories or whatsoever but he actually gave me a big idea about okay so I can actually be open about how I feel because that's something Chinese culture or Taiwanese culture we sometimes when I try to say something we won't tell you directly <laughs> okay and yeah so we will actually trying to uh, give you a hinge of this a hinge of that um, but we won't tell you what we really think about okay. you. So it was really frustrating for me living in Taiwan sometimes because of the culture, because of the mentality. Because I am a per my personality is I will tell you straight away about how I think. I can give you an example. For example, um, whenever I go home for Chinese New Year, it is oh you 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 think eating well, <laughs> which is implicating to. <laughs> Oh, you gain a little bit of weight. <laughs> okay, yeah, I see what you mean. But it must have been good to have a an, a different perspective from a from having a Canadian mentor, I suppose. Yeah, because uh, it was really helpful to let me know. Actually, it is okay to to tell the truth if we don't actually don't enjoy working together. What can we do to fix it? And instead of we are we are um like gaining more different. Um, how do you, how do you say it? Like if I have something, you're growing apart almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like eventually it, it doesn't work. And then for me, for my understanding, after working with, um, 
my boss, his name is Greg, um, working together is almost like a marriage. Like work relationship is also a marriage. We need to talk about it. And that sort of made me learn so much about communication. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm really good at communication. Until now, I realized that I need to communicate how I feel to people. And then they need to understand why. And I also need to listen so we can find a common ground. Those skills are also important in the workplace, aren't they? Whatever your job is and whatever you do, the the listening and communication is there's so many people that hear what they want to hear and they don't really listen to other people and I think that's you know that's true for your job and my job and anyone else's job in whatever you do that um listening to other people is just such a key skill isn't it yeah that is for sure and I think listening also now for me plays a bigger part I try to also understand and have more uh, compassion about other people so we can be more calibrated and more on board with things together so um how long did you stay with Greg for and and when when did you make the move because you made the move obviously from uh Taiwan over to the UK where how did that come about and how what happened next in your career um, so after that restaurant a manager job, I actually moved to uh, Melbourne. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. I love Melbourne. a year and a half. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you like coffee, Melbourne is the place to go. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of where I started to drink coffee. Okay. And then I was working in a cafe. And then I worked for a cafe, but I never work in coffee directly, like making coffee, um, yeah, so basically I was just a wait staff. I was the front of house. And I really enjoyed the brunch culture in Melbourne, especially. So it's almost like my routine every weekend. I go, to, I visited um, a different new cafe with my friends. And it's almost like brunch or a cafe place is like our living room. So you go there and you enjoy each other, you enjoy the food, enjoy the coffee and the conversation. And I really, really like that. And it's sort of similar to the restaurant I was managing before, the um, the vibe I was creating. So I went back to Taiwan after a year and a half. And um, I learned so much about coffee in Melbourne, but not, I didn't make coffee. So I become a snob when I go home. <laughs> when I went home to Taiwan and I was trying to teach my barista, which was horrible. I mean, I was horrible. I was trying to teach my barista how to make a three-quarter flat white. Because by that time, flat white was only invented in Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. And yeah, Taiwan didn't have it. Mm. And then so I had to tell them, how do I like my coffee? And um yeah, that was where I started to realize, okay, I actually quite enjoy coffee and then I would love to bring this brunch culture back back to Taiwan. And then that's how I started to get interested in coffee. I just I was working in office actually. Um was working for a manufacturer that produced down jacket for Euro clients. And I have to fly to China to oversee the production. I was doing uh, compliance, social compliance. And I uh, realized life wasn't just so exciting. And then I decided I wanted to learn coffee. <laughs> I want to learn about coffee. I want to leave Taiwan. And um, That's a big decision. I mean, moving to Melbourne in the first place is a big decision. Like, that's a big leap to make. Um, 
And was that, is it quite a, quite a common move? You know, from here, it's pretty common for people to go to Australia for a year or two. Is that quite a common thing to do in Taiwan as well? It wasn't uh, seven to 10 years ago. That's when I left to uh, Taiwan to Australia. But it's really common now. I think it is because my country cannot offer a younger generation whatever that they're looking for. Um, what I mean by that is the salary, the living, the living, the living wage, of course, and then the living standard. Um, we are still receiving the same similar salary compared to ten years ago, and but the living uh, cost has been increased. So you decided to leave uh, again to come to come away overseas and you know make it a bit more of a big move this time um how did you decide where you were going to go like obviously you probably had an option to go back to melbourne did you or come to the uk how did you decide what you were going to do next majority of our culture in taiwan like western culture is america oh really so yeah so um, how i learned english is through britney spears (laughs) actress voice mtv and i used to have uh mtv mtv accent okay and now I'm really adapt to British accent. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got a very accent. British accent now. <laughs> like, you don't, I wouldn't say you sound like Britney Spears at all, to be honest. No. <laughs> no, yeah, but like, I never thought I would come to um, England until I realized, oh, actually, England is offering, United Kingdom is offering a youth mobility visa. And it's like a lottery. You have to apply for it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you get it. So there's only 2,000 slots every year uh, sorry 1000 slot every year and so i was so lucky enough i got it mm-hmm, cool and i'm like okay i'm gonna move on i'm gonna go somewhere and then to learn coffee because i know there are a lot of uh, australians and kiwi here that they were they opened cafes in london so i thought okay i'm gonna come i want to be a barista i want to make coffee i want to learn how to make coffee and eventually i want to open a cafe or brunch uh cafe in taiwan that was my initial goal. So I gave myself 10 days. Like I know, I knew nobody in London. I have no relatives Gosh. based in UK. I came here by myself. Um, I have no friends here yet. Um, I gave myself a goal. I don't know why I did it. But um, so I booked a hostel in Queensway for 10 days, hoping that I'll find a job and a place to leave. I didn't even know how hard it it is to, I don't know, to leave or just to be in London. Yeah. I was just like, 10 days, I'm going to find a job, find a room. That's it. That's incredibly, I mean, a lot of people would look at that situation and say that that is an incredibly brave thing to do. And I mean, I've moved to other countries, but I always had a job before I went. And to come to here with not knowing a single soul and not having anywhere to live or anywhere to work, but just having a visa is, that's a, that's quite remarkable, Frida, to be honest. I'm amazed at your kind of tenacity for that. I might be dumb. <laughs> I was just like, let's do it. And then I guess I didn't have any ex- expectation. I didn't know what's going to happen. So I sort of just, I'm just going to go and see how it works. And I guess I'm really, um, I'm really confident with my hospitality skills. Sure. So I don't think I will, will like starve because um, working as a waitress for me as a start is very easy. 
So I wasn't really worried about that. But for, for me, I guess like looking for what I really want to do can be harder in the beginning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, luckily, um, I literally found a job and then found a, uh, room or flat like the same day together at one cafe. Cause, um, the staff was, uh, who were working there, they were looking for flatmates. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Then they actually were looking for like front of house as well because it's a big uh, cafe chain in London. So yeah, I found a job in 10 days. And then the, the day I have to move into my new place was actually the day I need to move out from the hostel. Okay. Oh, what a lovely chain of events. That worked out really well then. Yeah, it all worked out really well. Cool. And what is it about coffee particularly that that interests you I love to talk about kind of because obviously coffee is is massive now you know in the US and Australia and the UK and everywhere else around the world coffee has become a huge thing what is it about coffee that interests you and kind of keeps you excited about your job Hmm. so initially for me coffee is like a necessity for us to to be together so we drink coffee together we catch up we understand each other so it's it's like a media and um the more i started to learn about coffee the more i realized this is a life experience and this is a a life in general and i'll let you know what i mean by that so um as you know, you may know, I had bulimia before. So that means I'll eat whatever. I'll eat whatever I can, really. And I'll purge myself. And so by doing that, I will have um, the, the acid for stomach. Stomach will actually burn my palate. So I didn't really enjoy food before. I wasn't really paying much attention. And when I started to make coffee... And by making coffee, we need to learn um, recipe for coffee. It sounds really weird, but it's almost like when you bake a, a cake okay. or you're making your baking, you have certain like grams of flour, certain grams of eggs or, you know, butter. It's exactly the same as making a espresso or a filter coffee. So you have a recipe to do, to, to do the adjustment. And how do you change? The recipe is based on your palate. So you taste it and then you decide, okay, so this coffee tastes really bitter, but how can I cover that? So I added a little bit this or I do a little bit changes. And eventually that is that was heavily uh, relied on my palate. So that's when I realized, oh, okay, I need to stop hurting myself because then I can drink more and I can understand more about coffee, and I can taste the flavor of it. And what I mean by flavor is sometimes you would taste coffee, and it tastes like cherry, and it tastes like bergamot, and it tastes like mandarin, and it's so much fun. We, we can literally, it's almost like we can literally taste, it's almost like tasting juice. And that's when I realized, like, oh, wow, there's so much to explore here. And after that, the first was tasting. After that was the social um, compliance behind sourcing coffee. And so, for example, um, the cof- the farmers doesn't really make much money from producing coffee. 
that is a problem. Like we are so lucky that we can live here in UK and we we have a good flat. We have we have food to eat and consume. We are healthy and we have jobs to cover that cost. But sometimes, whatever the producers, the farmers make. And how much they sold the coffee doesn't necessarily mean that they it can cover their cost. And what does that mean? That means they probably don't have money to to get health check. They probably don't have enough money to make their house or their living environment better. That means they probably can't pay for their children to go to school because of their income is too low. And so for me right now,、um, I'm working in specialty. Coffee, which is the third way coffee、um, industry, and that's what we're trying to focus on. We're trying to make the entire supply chain, the livelihood of the producer, better, and we are connecting together. And then we we are a family, basically. We are we're helping each other out. They produce good coffee for us, and we're trying to provide them stable. And then、um, sustainable income. So that's the kind of social and ethical side of the industry、yeah. as well, because because、yeah. that's kind of something.、Um, I t- I was lucky enough to go to Sri Lanka recently and looking at the tea industry there and the ethical aspects of tea production. I think are probably a little bit similar in that the mass produced lower end of the market reduce produces is produced、um, often at. Very low prices with extremely low wages for the for the workers, and at the higher end of the market, the margins are higher, so they can afford to pay more. But it's there's there's a whole thing about mass production,、um, which isn't really talked about, but probably needs to be addressed. Is that similar in the coffee industry as well? Yeah, it's very similar in coffee and also chocolate, cacao. It's all very similar. It's just different products. So.、Um, In coffee, coffee is a commodity, so you can actually trade coffee in stock market. Right. Okay. And f- so we call it C market, which the price can be really, really low, and that price、um, cannot cover most of the cost to the producer. If a farmer in Colombia, they would like to sell their coffee, they have to sell their coffee locally in an association or co-op, and co-op their price is governed by the the government. But it's very close to the C market, which that's for example,、uh, right now it's one pounds per kilo. And、uh, in order to get that money, they they so、um, co-op doesn't really care about the quality of the coffee, so they would just take whatever they want. So quantity beat the quality.、Uh, the farmers would just keep selling their coffee and hoping the best that their quantity can beat and can get more money. And so for for us as、uh, specialty coffee、uh, industry that we do is we pay, we pay the farmer more. We either work with associations or we go directly to the farmers, and we say we'll pay you certain amount of price based on the quality of your coffee, and then those prices are always higher. So it's possible to pay them. Ten pounds or even more, based on the quality of the coffee. I personally believe that、uh, working in specialty coffee can actually increase the livelihood for the farmers, and then also,、um, basically, I want to. I I feel really grateful that I'm lucky enough to have everything I have right now, and I want. I would like to. I would like to give it back. It's an important thing to bear in mind that you know we are 
so lucky, aren't we, to have what we do? Um, and trying to make a difference through whatever way you can in the job that you do is is really important. And how did you go about, so when you arrived in London, how did you go about learning about coffee? Was that just kind of on the job or did you do some sort of courses of Frida? How did you become a, an expert and, and then a taster, I guess? I started my job as a barista and I learned most of my coffee making skill um, by working at the cafe. And uh, so the cafe uh, is in bank area. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Busy, so t- busy super area. Super busy. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to, we used to make 1,400 coffee a day. Wow. Yeah, and it could be more. But it was, it was just crazy. And I was sort of like a machine making coffee and then just to make sure n- no one waits more than two minutes or five minutes because everyone's busy. Our, all of our clients are busy. And, uh, but I realized that that's not what I want in the future. Cause by that time I was 28 years old and I started to look like, look into what should I do in the future? Cause, um, I realized I didn't want to open a cafe. Okay. So that's when I started to look into the further supply chain of this entire coffee industry. Um, there is roastery. So there is green coffee. So coffee itself is actually a uh, a fruit, right? And you have to dry that fruit or dry the seed in the fruit, in in able to create green coffee. And then you have to roast green coffee to become the coffee that we drink. So there is roastery that roasts green coffee, and there is green coffee. For example, it's like exporters or importers to to source coffee and then sell sell green coffee to the roasters. Okay, okay. So this is like a little bit further up the supply chain, I guess. Yes, so it is further up. So I started to look into where can I go? And so I sort of volunteered a little bit in the roastery in Oslo. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah, so I started to try to make connection, basically, try to understand what's going on in other parts of the supply chain. And so I spoke to my friend, um, they're based in Oslo, say, hey, can I just volunteer to work for you for a week? And they say, yeah, that's fine. So I was there for a week. I uh, was packing coffee all day, basically. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah, it also was. It was pretty awesome, I would say, because it only take it took me two days or three days, and I realized, okay, I don't want to do it. So I didn't have to waste my time, get a job, and then to work in there for a while and understanding, oh, I actually don't want to do this. So I think volunteer is a really good way to get involved first, and then um, I volunteer for another green coffee importers in based in London. And uh, I actually quite enjoyed it because I realized I have the um, access to actually taste a lot of different coffees. And that's when I get really exciting, excited about because um, I enjoy flavors on my in my mouth and I enjoy exploring different um, just textures and all of this, you know, attributes. And so I realized, okay, so green coffee is what I would like to do. And uh, I started to explore more. So 
I did Q-Grader uh, certification. It is a certification very similar to sommelier in wine. wine. So um, it is more like Q-Grader has the ability to score and grade, co grade coffee. So for coffee, it is from zero to 100. And if you're talking about specialty coffee, it is from 80 to 100. Okay, so that's quite similar to wines where they talk about like 90 to 100 or 80 to 100, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's very similar. And so I'm able to give scores to, to coffee and sometimes the, the price of the coffee will determine it by the scores. Okay, oh, cool. And so that's then translated into you starting to compete worldwide in coffee tasting, which is something I'm really interested in about when you go to competitions. One thing I was going to ask you about was how are you judged? Like who decides who's won and how do you kind of win in inverted commas? Because <laughs> who decides, like what are, your, what are you competing for or what's the competition about? Yeah, so the competition I competed is called cup tasting. Um, and cup, taste, cup tasting competition is a competition that we taste coffee. There are also other competition like making coffee, barista presentation, making filters, but mine is fully based on tasting coffee. On the table, uh, you would get eight sets of coffee, and each set has three cups on uh, in one area. And three cups, two are identified, the other one is different. So us as competitors needs to pick the odd one out. Oh, okay, right. From that set. Okay, yeah? okay. And okay. so so um eight sets, you need to finish this competition under eight minutes. Oh blimey. Okay. So you get a minute per a minute per set of cups. Yeah, so if it's based on accuracy first, then speed. Okay. So for example, if I got seven correct and you got eight, eight correct, you win. Doesn't matter what our time is, okay. but it has to be under eight minutes. But if you got seven, I got seven, and I am faster than you, I'm, I finish in three minutes and you finish in four minutes, I win. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. And these are coffees from different coffees from all over the world, are they, presumably? Yeah. Um, the coffees are from all over the world, but sometimes one set can be really similar so for example it can be same region but different farmers so maybe this farm over here and his neighbor farmer but it's different you know different area so it's like incredibly subtle differences between the three of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. or the tree from over here like right in front of you or another tree that it's 300 meters away from oh you. Gosh. Like it's that, it can be that similar. Crikey. So it is really uh, fine tuning your, your palate. But I have learned that this is also very, very intuitive, intuitive competition. Yeah. Okay. So as in, if you think it's that one, it's probably that one, you know, like you got to listen, yes. to, listen to your own body. Yeah. 
some yeah sometimes if you overanalyze too much <laughs> yeah you mess it up yeah going with your gut instinct is often correct isn't it so you mentioned um Colombia and El Salvador previously where else have you traveled with your kind of coffee career and what is your favorite place to drink coffee from um I've been to Panama to Costa Rica uh what else I've been to Brazil Rwanda as well oh, wow and so yeah, and soon I'll be going to Kenya, Ethiopia, Honduras, and so many more. And where would be your favorite, like where does your favorite coffee come from or do you have a lot of favorites? For me, I think Colombia is a really good country, not just to travel, it's actually also my favorite co- country to visit. But also their coffee is really di- diverse. Um, in different regions, they can create a lot of different coffees that taste that tastes like sometimes Kenyan coffee or any other different regions. Um, so I really, really, really like Colombian coffee. And it's it can be really settled. In the beginning, when I first joined the coffee world, I really enjoy Ethiopian coffee because it's really floral. And it's really, really um, funk. You can say funky in a way. It's It's beautiful. But the more I work in coffee, the more I realize I prefer settled, um, settled flavor. So I think now Colombian coffee suits me the best. And so, tell me what's next for your career, Frida. So, um, what are you, what are you going to be doing? Like, what are your kind of goals and hopes and aims for your career in coffee? And what are you up to next? Um, my next goal right now, I. I I don't see, I normally don't plan too far away because I don't know what's going to happen. But for me, my next goal will be, I would like to purchase coffee that can um, be more charitable, that can be more meaningful and powerful to not me, not the, the coffee like people in the consumer country but the producing country sure okay and that's going to be your new job for origin is going to be as a purchaser is it yeah yeah so it's really exciting because i am able to travel to different countries and just to build up relationship which is um also my personal favor like i think it's always about relationship when you talk to people when you're actually working together or when you're trying to build up or collaborate together and uh, that's something I'm looking forward to do to maintain a relationship that Origin has with um, other producers but also create something new and something more uh, meaningful as well um, for the future purchasing. When Frida and I were discussing setting up this interview, she told me that as well as wanting to talk about her career in coffee, she also wanted to share the story of her recovery from depression and disordered eating in an aim to increase transparency around these issues, which are so often associated with shame. Honesty and openness around mental health is increasing, but on this podcast, I really want to acknowledge that it takes all sorts of women to succeed in their careers. Some may look like they've travelled a perfectly smooth road and glided through life, whereas others have obvious bumps and obstacles that they've had to clamber over. But by talking about our issues and troubles, we are better able to support one another in the working world and beyond. When I was in Australia, I wasn't really happy. I didn't really enjoy my life. And I didn't know what went wrong. I just, I was really close off. 
and then I started to eat a lot. I started to also purge a lot. So I went home. Uh, still wasn't really happy. Um, one day I received an email. Um, I, I think it was an email about yoga, and sometimes when the newsletter coming in, it will tell you something outside of yoga. So they recommend this book. So this is this Hawaiian meditation. How they do is they will say, "I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and thank you." So I started to read in that book, not knowing my condition was, but I was just like, okay, well, wondering about it. And it is a book about not to have any preconception about anything. And sometimes we get nervous. Sometimes we worry about life. Sometimes we worry about a lot of tiny things at work. What the book teach is try not to have any further thoughts. But what you can say is, "I love you. I'm sorry." Please forgive me and thank you. That help us to get through, and help us to remove all of the anxieties, so we can be calmer. And through that, I started to understand how I can slowly adjust my mood and adjust my expectation to so many things. And through that, I started to read some other books, and I realized, oh, I actually had depression. And I actually had bulimia, so I wasn't aware of it until I started to read that book. I started to confront myself, and that was the hardest thing to do. I realized, oh shit, I had depression. Oh shit, this bulimia is actually really, really tough because I could literally eat binge so much that I go to toilet after binging. So eventually, I realized how sick that was—the the the mentality that was. So I started to look into my thoughts, like I was trapped by so many past experiences before. I、uh, suddenly realized the reason I had bulimia was because of my my culture. And or or was because I was really tall and chubby when I was in high school, and my Chinese name、um, Rong is similar to dinosaur or dragon in the other Chinese character. So my classmate would laugh at me sometimes. You know when you know in high school people don't know much about bullying、um, and how much that affects our future. They would call me dinosaur, and because I was tall and chubby, so damaging, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't re- realize it until I started to all look into this,、um, and that was the reason I had bulimia because I care about my image. I care about I was fat before, and that was something that was so twisted. I realized I shouldn't really hurt myself that much anymore, but slowly. Didn't really hurt myself until slowly I started to drink coffee. So I would say coffee actually tasting coffee saved my life.、Mm. And was this something that you told anyone about? Like, did you did you tell your family and friends? Were people aware that you were going through this, or was this just something very private and personal? Um, it was in the beginning very private and personal. Um, but that time I didn't know actually how to communicate. It's also because. 
the Chinese culture is you shouldn't tell anyone about your failure or you should cover it because that's a problem. That's that's your problem. And so I, I, I actually talked to my close friend about it and she was fine and supportive. And when I told, trying to tell my mom, when I realized I had this and I tried to be really accepting about the condition, I tried to be more open about it. She said, oh no, you're just fine. It's okay. It'll be fine. Like you're, you're not, you're don't, you think too much. Don't worry. Like it's, it's that it was hard. And then in Taiwan also, if you, they, it's a concept. If you go to see shrink, Oh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah. You know? And so... Which is such a contrast to America where ther- going to therapy is just so widely accepted. You know, it's almost the opposite extreme, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So the healthcare doesn't really actually um, support this type of um, mental issue just yet. So uh, they, do, they do support giving med- medicine but not like face-to-face consulting. Okay, okay. So things like CBT and, and therapy would not be kind of big over there for helping not people yet. with depression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I went to see a doctor and in a clinic that's supported by our health uh, insurance, and um, they gave me a pill. They gave me pills to, to take to calm myself. Uh, I forgot what that was, but... After taking one pill, I realized my mind is running so slow and I feel so dumb in a way that I can't process my work. I can't work properly. So then I stopped doing that. So for me to get recover was like was almost learning from books and just to trying to understand why am I behaving this way? Why am I thinking this way and trying to sort out my thoughts and realize my thoughts are are not me and how people think about me doesn't define me this is not other people's life this is my life and I don't I am bigger than this and so for me starting to understand this starting to taste coffee starting to push, push myself to boundaries starting to compete and all this experiences make me understand more about life um it's almost funny that i attend the competition and i won the competition and i keep going in the competition because the competition i'm attending is actually really really stressful it's really manipulative manipulative in my mind because i want to do well i'm scared i'm scared of other people are trying to beat me they can win like I wanted to win you know all this ego thing all this you know little dramas in my head <laughs> and um, it's almost like I I recovered from depression but I walk myself into another crazy uh, environment that can trigger my depression again how did you learn to manage that pressure because the pressure of competition is whatever you're competing in is well known to do crazy things to you mentally and actually anybody whoever you are like if you're competing in something the internal monologue or internal battle of competition is can be really strong so how did you manage to harness that and and calm your mind i suppose to allow yourself to be successful in those situations yeah so in the end um 
I managed to understand that I am me and then I it is okay to have this thoughts it's okay to panic because it's only normal and I I I also try to remember who I am so that means I'm actually zero and I'm empty I'm not controlled by anything I know it's crazy outside but I know who I am and I know it's not going to define me and I just have to keep going I have to go one step ahead I, every time so I learned this a lot from running actually um we just have to keep going I just have to keep running a step ahead and I'll hit the destination but I need to focus on the now the now that matters but not the future but not the destination but the now and that helped me to get through many of the occasion that when I feel really stressed and I just have to tell myself it's gonna be okay no matter what it's doesn't really matter because it's gonna be okay and that's sort of like the voice just keep me going Mm. and I guess if you've only got eight minutes to taste 24 coffees you have to have a clear mind to allow yourself to make those decisions very quickly and you know you need to calm your mind calm your thoughts just be present in the moment and say right I'm ready I'm going, okay, oh, one, two, three, go. And, you know, then you focus on nothing else other than the coffee that you're tasting, the competition that you're in and the decisions that you're making. And that's probably, in, pro- in a way, I mean, I'm kind of probably putting words in your mouth here, but I imagine that to be quite freeing for you because you're focused on nothing else. Oh, you have no idea how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's exactly what you just said. And then that's why I'm so passionate about tasting because tasting it's that now that matters and that sort of not just in coffee anymore and it is in my life it's about every sip of coffee I had it's about the moment while I was running the 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 breeze that hit my face the sunshine was on my skin like it's bigger than tasting it's bigger than anything it is life in general and that's when I when I got really excited because um, it is it is what I do. It is what I practice. It is so spiritual that I, I it's my life. The journey of anyone with a mental health issue can be a long and winding road. So I am utterly delighted that Frida now finds herself in such a contented place where success is following success in her career. She's recently been named as one of the top 20 ones to watch in the ethical coffee arena, and I have no doubt she'll go on to great things. If you're interested in following Frida's journey through travel and coffee, the best place to find her is on Instagram at I'm Frida, that's I-M-F-R-E-D-A, or her website is fridayuan.com, that's F-R-E-D-A-Y-U-A-N.com, and I'll put the links on the show page as usual. That's it for today. But as ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions or feedback, do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast site as it helps others to find us. But more importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next time.